welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello. We are here today with a book recommendation episode. If this is your first time with us, this will be an episode of Persuasion. We are going to try and persuade you or convince you to read a book with us over the course of two weeks. We like to dedicate two weeks to a book by splitting it in half and doing episodes on each half. If you don't know about us, we are, again, the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can find social media feeds for us at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word, at both Facebook and Instagram, where we also post some drawings that I like to do to promote the books. As always, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We would appreciate it. And today we are here to talk about Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, Amanda, a book that we just got done talking about. I don't know if you're out of energy to discuss it anymore. (laughs) No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. We record these at the end after the book clubs when we've read the whole thing, so we're not faking it. This is this is the real deal. And yeah, as I mentioned, we're here to discuss this collection by Neil Gaiman of Norse Mythology. I will set it up, though go ahead and throw the prompt out. The way Amanda and I pick these is one of us picks a prompt for the other person, the other person then picks the book. So it's a little bit of both of us, a little bit of back and forth. Amanda, could you set up what the prompt was for this one? Yes. Um, I asked you to choose a book. That was um, a retelling of something, but that is a retelling that is better than the original. Yes, keyword better. So I chose this for a couple of reasons, and I'll run through them briefly. I had read the Poetic Edda in college, which is one of the Norse surviving Old Norse texts, the source material for these myths. I also know Neil Gaiman by reputation, and I've read some of the Sandman, American Gods, Graveyard Book. And I, I have a generally, I would say, a positive impression of his work. He's not my favorite, though. It's not. I don't hold him in very high esteem, but I like the stuff I've encountered from him. So I just figured if anyone could take these old myths that I didn't really, I didn't attach to those strongly in college. I didn't latch onto them or anything. I felt neutrally. But I just figured a modern author could take a shot at it and try and update them. I thought it might be an interesting experiment. Don't know if they'll be better or worse. We'll get into that into the recommendation. But yeah, I thought they would be different and improved. From the cover, this is the directly from the publisher. I'm going to read what the description of these are. It says, Neil Gaiman, long inspired by ancient mythology and creating the fantastical realms of his fiction, presents a bravura rendition of the Norse gods and their world from their origin through their upheaval in Ragnarok. In Norse mythology, Gaiman stays true to the myths and envisioning the major Norse pantheon, Odin, the highest of the high, wise, daring, and cunning, Thor, Odin's son, incredibly strong, yet not the wisest of the gods, and Loki, son of a giant, blood brother to Odin, and a trickster and unsurpassable manipulator. And he fashions these primeval stories into a novelistic arc. And I'm going to, I'll pause there on the cover. But that's what the work was like. It's a bunch of stories of myths taken from the Norse tradition, and he kind of tries to thread them together. And so we're going to be trying to recommend and persuade you to read with us today. We begin our recommendations always with a simile where we compare the reading of this book to something. Amanda, go ahead with your simile. What is reading this book like? My uh, original response to this was just going to be like, it's like reading Sappho's poetry, but it's a little Ah. bit too literal. Um, And also a reference to our uh, little black classics episodes. Uh Uh-huh. They're in the uh, feed. Before we started this. Yeah. Um, But I'll go with something more creative. Of course. Um, (laughs) I'll say that reading this is like watching two cats interact with each other for the first time. There's a lot of hissing. There's maybe some claws. There's some yowling and there's some weird acrobatics, all of which ends in a burst of activity and aggression that you can't quite see. 
and okay. then they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> the sound and the fury of the cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I say that because it's like it's so like built up and there's like there's it's interesting to watch the build up but then like yes. the the actual fighting and stuff like that you don't actually see because it's like just a blur right so you don't see oh, yeah. the actual action and then and then it, like it disappears and you're like what even just happened <laughs> yeah that's a just an amazing simile was that inspired by your real life amanda in any way <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> can you give us the source material for your simile please no that's um <laughs> Yeah, very well put. And the burst, I think, is the right description of the way some of these conclude or the way some of the climaxes come about. My assembly is that I thought reading it was like seeing specifically an indie or art house movie, but in a traditional large capacity movie theater. Think like AMC or something similar. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this incredible work of art. Let's say I, I responded well to Parasite from a couple of years ago that won the best picture, for example. I thought that was a incredible achievement in a great film so it's you know you're watching something like that on the screen you've got this great piece of art in front of you you're enjoying it thinking about it but then you're also just rifling popcorn and m&ms into your mouth you've got this lightning pace consumption going of the garbage gar i was gonna say garbageiest garbageiest garbage (laughs) the most (laughs) of the garbage foods and so you just end up with this kind of all-time juxtaposition i think the simile works for this just because I think people in their minds have such a vaunted idea of myth and that it... So I think that term myth, that is the art house component to this simile, the sloppy simile, because I think when people hear it, they get intimidated. They, they don't, they're not sure how to engage. They know it's really important. It's historic and they, they are unsure where to approach or where to dig in. But Gaiman brings an accessibility to it. He brings a sort of fun in a way to it. And the reading is so clear or the style is so clear here and... There are moments that feel kind of like watching a movie anyway, so I think that simile fits. But it's really the juxtaposition of you're, you have this thing that you know is supposed to be held on high from from the ancient times, but also it's just made pretty accessible here. There's nothing super high-minded or flutin' about it in th- that I felt, so I think that's my simile. I, I really enjoy um, the part of your simile where you, you were talking specifically about like the the high speed consumption because oh, yeah. I think that's a really great reflection of the work where it's like you can read through this really quickly which a lot of the times with yes. other myths you feel like it's a slog to get yes. through so I think that's a that's a great comparison strong agree agree I read these I, I would look up in shock and see how quickly some of them went by. The yeah, reading pace of it all. But I think that's, you know, the game and style, I think, has that flow to it. Let's yeah. move on, though, to a scripted pitch. If that wasn't compelling enough for you, listener, we do like to write something in advance. We've prepared some words in advance, usually 200 words or so, where we are now going to try and persuade you further with some, you know, thoughts that we put together. Amanda, why don't you begin with your scripted pitch on Norse mythology? Sure. Um, generally speaking, you either like to read myths or you're bored by myths. And I tend to stray toward the latter, uh, specifically reading myths is to me like reading a list uh, in a lot of ways. It's just person, 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 relevant, relevant here. Just not, not a lot of fun for me. Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, however, actually reads like a novel, Um, There's a clear narrative thread throughout that doesn't overshadow the fact that these are real Norse myths we're reading. Instead, the narrative helps to organize these myths into something more meaningful than just, hey, here are the gods and their stories and domains. 
This collection still tells us all the information we expect from a myth, but it also infuses Gaiman's particular subtle style to make the reading much more enjoyable. If you've read any of Gaiman's other works, you may be familiar with his humor, his characterization, and clarity in writing. Um, you'll find all of these aspects of his writing in this collection, even as he tones it down in order to stay true to the myths. Um, it's enjoyable, it's quick, and it's great, even for someone who typically avoids this genre, like me. <laughs> Full disclosure, I also do not like reading myths for the most part, especially <laughs> yeah. absent study or absent some kind of framework for it. I Yeah, I'm not flocking right. to them. Yeah, I love the... I, I think he tones it down too. I felt like he respectfully bows to them sort of that yes. was, that was the negotiation. I feel like he settled upon in these where he, yeah. he is defaulting to them here. He is the yeah. one bowing. He does. He doesn't make them bend to him. It's the other way around. Mm-hmm. That's I think I, he does a great job with, mm-hmm. with keeping true to the, to the mythology and the way that it's told, but still right. infusing some of his own personality into it. For sure. Yes, I I would completely agree. I'll begin my scripted pitch here. And I've prepared two. Unusual, but I kept it around word count. So, you know, let's get into it here. (laughs) I have a pitch here for the more reclusive, refined literary person who perhaps doesn't engage in pop culture. And then I've got one for somebody who loves Marvel movies, pop culture, video games. I feel like video games are having a moment with this because of the God of War games and some other games, too. The Vikings are all over the place in games right now. So I've got one for y'all and then one for the, you know, not engaging in pop culture. I just read, you know, high-minded literary stuff. So because I, I think, look, if you don't like myths at all, th- these have odd pacing. They have weird eccentricities that don't get explained. Like that's it's not going to change your mind on that. But I think there are pitches to be made. So here we go. If you are a pop culture, Marvel lover, comic book lover, you're in the video games with Vikings, consider this one of the more enjoyable exercises in compare and contrast that you could do. Obviously, you could go to the source material or just more comics, but this is that perfect balance of refined, but also it is mythological, it is classical. And so I think Gaiman does not override or overwhelm the source material. Brace yourself then for a little bit of a lack of quips and one-liners. You know, it's not like a Marvel movie, though there are some weird references or I think homages to some of that stuff in there. There, The dialogue is unique for sure. But instead, you can kind of revel in the subtle character work and differences and the sort of reinterpretations of key events, Ragnarok being chief among them. There was a movie about that in the Marvel movies. And so I think it disposes with some of the blatant heroism and lesson learning of Marvel films, which, yeah, it's pop culture. It's not the most complex thing. But in exchange for that, you get something more brooding and crude and pretty ably written and very readable, too. And I think the short story format, if you're a comic book person, should also appeal because these things really move right along. Now, my pitch to the leather-bound, book-loving, arthouse cinema type It is a text whose stylistic decisions, I think, do ask the important questions about the purpose of a myth and purpose of myths in modern life at all. Like, why do we resurrect classical things at all? And, you know, there's the question of can modern feelings and social pressures even be put into these contexts that could otherwise seem absurd? I mean, Valhalla is an odd one. In what way do we sanctify glorious warrior death versus there? There are definitely cultural things where you wonder, like, why is it? Is this still relevant? How much change in an adaptation is too much? Should he have changed more of this? Should he have updated some of these references? I think Gaiman's prose in those respects kind of whispers and shouts. You've got this glittering facade. You've got gods and monsters and heroisms, and it's got all of the trappings. But it does get undercut by this sort of gloomy mood. The dialogue is updated in a strange way, and there's subtle character work here, too. He doesn't let 
characters go totally unexplored. And so I think it's there is a sign of a delicate hand at work here. And I think you if you can bring a delicate reading to it too, then you will come away with full appreciation. So if that's you, I think that is appealing too. So those are my two different pitches to those two different camps. I like it. I I, I think it's smart because there's going to definitely be two different approaches to the way that yeah this is read yeah and yeah it i like that you pointed out especially for the um the pop culture readers um (laughs) Mm -hmm. that they can still find it enjoyable even though you know myth does seem to be more of a high-minded kind of pursuit that the the short story format is really great for pacing and it's really great for especially like if you don't want to spend hours and hours reading a book but you want to like maybe piecemeal it this is a great way to neil gaiman does a great job of of making it like consumable in small pieces so for sure so readable so readable let's move to the specific parts of this recommendation persuasion Let's talk about quotes for clarification. We do like to give one quote. We're not spoiler heavy here. We're actually not spoiling anything at all. But we do like to give one quote each to clarify some of the style and story elements that you'll encounter, just to give you a preview of what it will be like to read this work that we think indicates something important. Do you want to go first, Amanda? What's your quote? Sure. Uh, Mine is from page 115, and it is Mm -hmm. um, an exchange between... Uh, among, sorry, Loki, Heimdall, and Thor. Um, Loki says, well, said Loki, what about you, Heimdall? Do you have any suggestions? I do, said Heimdall, but you won't like it. Thor banged his fist down upon the table. It does not matter whether or not we like it. He said, we are God. There is nothing that any of us gathered here would not do. Tell us your idea, and if it is a good idea, we will like it. You won't like it, said Heimdall. We will like it, said Thor. Well, said Heimdall, I think we should dress Thor as a bride. Have him put on the necklace of the brisings, and he goes on and on. And and Thor says, I don't like it, said Thor. People will think, well, for a start, they'll think I dress up in women's clothes. Absolutely out of the question. I don't like it. I am definitely not going to be wearing a bridal veil. None of us like this idea, do we? Terrible, terrible idea. I've got a beard. I can't shave off my beard. And then Loki says, shut up, Thor. <laughs> Classic. As as the ancient Norse would say. <laughs> yes. So I just thought that this particular scene was really funny. Um, I also skipped over some parts that would have some spoilers in it. But um, yeah, I like yeah. the the dialogue in, in these stories, especially between Loki and um, Thor. But the dialogue in general is... Um, where a lot of Gaiman's personal style shows up. Um, right. And it also um, shows like how well he's actually able to characterize uh, these gods and, and the giants through their the way that they speak to each other. So we get a really good idea of who they are as, as people and as characters. Um, yeah. Which is something that you don't necessarily get in a traditional myth. Right. You, you don't get like a whole lot of dialogue It's very like stiff and formal usually. But here it's updated. It's modern. You can completely understand it. It's easy to understand. And it, I think that it's it shows his humor and also shows his ability to characterize really well. For sure. Yeah. And there's it feels almost anachronistic, but I don't even know if that's the dominant feeling, but it pops up often enough to feel relevant. I mean, that scene could be in some ways lifted from one of the Marvel movies, yeah. for example. (laughs) Just the banter of it all, you know, the back and forth of it all. Exactly. 
I pulled a quote from when the gods are getting sort of tricked by a giant in 175, and they're asking the god um, Thialfi about it, or Thialfi? Anyway, it says, Thialfi said nothing. He wanted to say something to protest or to ask more questions when Thor said in a low rumble, like thunder echoing on a distant mountaintop. And me, what did I actually do last night? Oh, actually, that's the god who got tricked with them. It's Utgard Loki who is tricking them. Uh, yeah, and so yeah. Utgard Loki was no longer smiling. He says, a miracle you performed, he said. You did the impossible. You could not perceive it, but the end of the drinking horn was in the deepest part of the sea. You drank enough to take the ocean level down to make tides. Because of you, Thor, the seawater will rise and ebb forevermore. I was relieved you did not take a fourth drink. You might have drunk the ocean dry. And then later it comments on Thor and it says... Thor's voice was very mild, but he had hold of the shaft of his hammer, and he was holding it comfortably. And then at the end of their conversation, Thor raised his hammer high above his head, but before he could strike, Utgarda Loki was gone. The fortress was gone. There was no trace of Utgarda Loki's stronghold or the grounds it was in. Now the three travelers were standing on a desolate plain with no signs of any kind of life whatsoever. Couple things here, why I pulled this one. And it, yeah, that has some spoilers in it, but there's like 20 short stories here. Well, I'm not sweating it too much. <laughs> and it, you know, you still get to see what happens in that myth. Anyway, a lot of things. Okay, so it's got classical mythology tropes. It has a test of strength. It has gods performing absurd deeds. And it, of course, has explanations of natural phenomena, right? Which is crucial. He lowered the tide, he created the tides and lowered the ocean and drank the ocean. But it also gives a sense of the kind of subtle style and mood shifts that gaming can bring. They end in that desolate, empty plane, and it's not very celebratory or heroic. They end by being tricked. And I think he also brought his style to bear in the kind of subtle way he portrays Thor as sort of ready to fight. But it's not, none of it's too overbearing. And I think that is his approach here. He's quite respectful of the original myth, and he, what he brings in style is not meant to overpower, just to accentuate. And I think it. I think between the structures, the characteristics at play, and some of the characterization and the work there, that it does feel pretty incorporated. And as I mentioned before, how I would characterize it is he bows to the myth, not not the other way around, not vice versa. And so he kind of wraps some style and some mood and tone bringing around what was already there. At least that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I, I love that story, too. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Yeah, I couldn't help but I, it's hard to say it's a spoiler, though I did. That was from the conclusion of it. So to be fair, but it's a myth and there's a bunch of others. And anyway, yeah, I feel comfortable sharing that quote. It was one of my favorites as well. I enjoyed yeah. the trickery at the end of it. Good payoff yeah, that there. Was well done. <laughs> Before we close out here, Amanda, let's give potential readers a bit of literary advice. This is when we reach into the literary knapsack here and we give you, the listener, some bit of literary wisdom, I guess I could say. It's not really wisdom. It's more of a piece of reading and rhetoric to look out for and to use as you enter this book. Essentially, if you're deciding to read this, what is something you should be thinking about or planning ahead and sort of reading around. Amanda, what are you bringing out of the knapsack? Um, I pulled the word narration. Narration is the voice behind a story and the key to engaging readers. Elements included in narration are point of view, narrative voice, narrative tense, and so on and so forth. This collection, which stems from an oral tradition, right? Most myths are. Yeah. Uh, from an oral tradition, um, has some really interesting narrative elements to it. It's third person, 
But in the final chapter, the narrator refers to him or herself. We don't know who the narrator is, really. And yeah. there are actually direct questions and pieces of advice for the reader with with uh, Gaiman using the word you. So I thought that yes. was really interesting. The, the narrative play here is something that could very easily be analyzed, I think. But it's uh, something that I found interesting and noticeable as I was reading. It's something that reflecting back on what I just compared it to, but it could have so easily been cut and he could just tweak. It doesn't dominate enough of the stories to make it feel like the essential narrative kind of voice of it all. And Mm -hmm. so it is something that looks at to me to be something that could be so easily edited out. And the keeping of it feels like, again, it's just respect and sort of adhering to what probably was there in some form, in some original text fashion, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing out of the knapsack myth. You you ever heard of it? (laughs) Myths? Mythology? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds familiar. It might be in the title. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go super over the top here. Let's talk about what a myth is. This is from the Penguin Literary Dictionary. In general, a myth is a story which is not true and which involves, as a rule, supernatural beings or at least supernatural beings. Myth is always concerned with creation and explains how something came to exist, like natural order and cosmic forces. Nowadays, a myth tends to signify a fiction, but a fiction which conveys a psychological truth. Classical writers had a ready-made mythology, obviously since they were alive then, Others since then have not been so fortunate, and some have felt a great need to invent or somehow contrive a mythology to be the vehicle of their beliefs. And they give some examples of that interesting poetic tradition, like apparently William Blake just kind of invented his own universal myth thing to write poems about. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But I'll say in the Western tradition, ancient Greece and Rome, those that pantheon has been pretty ripe for people like to reference and allude to those frequently. So there are myths yeah. in certain. And I mean, the Norse canon is enjoying a or the Norse mythological canon is enjoying a re- kind of resurrection over the past 50 years. Right. Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. A couple things in this definition worth pointing out before you jump in. There are stories here that definitely connect to natural phenomena and creations, but I we talked about this in the book clubs. I'm convinced that there are some that did not. I really, it stood out to me when he did that because not all of them end in such a blatant way, but there are some that do. So it is worth pointing out, these are myths, that's what they're going to do. The gods do godly things that affect the entire world and everything. And I think... I like that quote. So nowadays a myth tends to signify a fiction, uh, but a fiction which conveys a psychological truth. I mean, the character work here, I think, is that there's a lot about human behavior and culture that can be gleaned from these. Now, of course, there's just fantastical stories that can be in in a way that maybe not in their content, but in a way told to children, simple tales with simple plots. And there's kind of, you know, backstabbing, betrayals, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think there is some psychological truth in here. It's I don't think the dominant force at work, but I found that contrast to be interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the uh, especially with the final chapter, the psychological aspect of the entire work is is made more clear. Yeah, it builds to something, and it, and it's not hiding it either. It builds to a clear climax that it tells you and warns you about, and so that is a sort of dominant part of the work. Amanda, any other final thoughts on Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology or any final recommendations? Uh, no, I just really enjoy it, and, and I yeah. do like Neil Gaiman's um, writing style as well. I've only read a couple of his 
novels um, aside from this, but right, I've, right. I've enjoyed everything I've read by him, and, and I'm not disappointed by this at all. I would say I dislike myths and fairy tales. I enjoyed this. I didn't, I don't, I'm not going to say I swooned, loved it, but I enjoyed this a lot and found it so readable. I, every time yeah. I sat down to read one, I usually read two, I think would be my yeah. quick, you know, review on this one. And so, yeah, plenty of interesting things to dig into here. And if you even have a cursory interest in this, very easy recommendation for, for that person. So, yep. Let's talk about other books coming up because we have other things. If this was not enough to persuade you to join us, then after the next two weeks, we'll jump into a new book. The next three books we'll be covering on the podcast are in order. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, and then Native Speaker by Chang Ray Lee. We won't say anything more about those today because we will have book recommendations coming up on those. As always, we do our book recommendations on a Monday and then book clubs on Fridays. Every Friday in the feed, you should expect to see a book club episode from us on a work we're discussing. We have been the Lightly Literary Podcast. Again, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We are at the Lightly Literary Podcast. All one word. Find us there. Rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks so much for checking in. We hope we gave you a good recommendation today. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages.